Welcome to the Growing Hope podcast. Growing Hope is a charity providing free therapy for children and young people with additional needs and their families in partnership with local churches across the UK. Growing Hope aims to grow hope for children, hope for families and hope in Jesus. This conversational podcast is based on interviews with Growing Hope therapists, giving practical tips, strategies and insight into their field of expertise. It's hosted by Amy Hobbs, speech and language therapist. Welcome. Thanks for listening to this podcast. I am Amy and I'm joined by Abby Page. Abby is an experienced children's speech and language therapist with a specialism in autism. She's worked in London for the past eight years in a variety of settings, early years settings, ASD specialist primary and secondary schools, and also an ASD specialist college provision. Abby works for Growing Hope, providing speech therapy to children and families part of her week. And the rest of her week, she serves her church as a children and families leader. She's an incredible member of the team at Growing Hope. Thanks for joining us, Abby. Hello. Thanks for having me. It's a a pleasure to be here. I know you are a very busy woman, so thanks for chatting to us. Um, Can you tell us a bit about speech therapy just as we start? uh, I think probably people have a variety of experiences of speech and language therapy, and it would be great to know a little bit about what you do and who you help. How do you help? Okay. Um, Well, speech and language therapy helps children and young people with their communication skills so that they're able to understand other people better and to clearly communicate their own thoughts and ideas to others. It supports all different areas of communication. I think sometimes because it's called speech and language therapy, uh, people focus a lot on the speech aspect, but actually we think about everything and all the underlying skills involved in communication as well. So attention and listening, understanding of language, but also how we express ourselves and then all the different things involved in social communication and having a conversation or interaction with others. So as a speech and language therapist, oh, that is very broad. Yeah. <laughs> as a speech and language therapist, I um, would support anybody that's got difficulties in any of those different areas. So we would start with a bit of an assessment when we would have a look at some of the different areas involved in communication and identify areas of strength and things that are working really well and also any challenges and then we can work out together with with the child with their family um, what are some good goals or things that we can work on together and we'll find some strategies or different approaches that might help to develop some of those skills. It's so interesting that it's not just the speech and stuttering, isn't it? And you've been working a lot in schools, but I know that uh, speech therapists also work in hospitals and medical settings, um, and you've been in uh, an autism sort of specialism uh, and provision. Um, Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Is that your particular interest in autism? Uh, Yeah, so autism is my kind of specialist area. It's an area that I've um, had the most experience in. Um, In particular, I've worked in in the schools and and college settings, so through education, um, where you're working with the education team and their other staff in the school, as well as with families and children at home. Um, But 
other people might have experienced speech and language therapy in a clinic setting um, or similar to how we do it at Growing Hope, where you might come to visit a speech and language therapist in a clinic or in a children's centre. Um, and some people have uh, speech and language therapy that comes to visit them at home. So speech and language therapy okay. can happen in all different sorts of in environments because communication happens in all different environments. Yeah, um, and it's so important as well. I mean, who doesn't communicate? Everybody is affected by that, hey? Yeah. And what does Growing Hope, how does it look different um, to the maybe the settings you've worked in before? So you said that Growing Hope is a clinic and uh, previously you, you've you worked in schools or, or colleges and uh, other speech therapists might work in hospitals or medical settings. How is Growing Hope different to that? And, you know, why did you choose Growing Hope? Well, I had heard about Growing Hope actually when I was at a, a Christian conference, a summer conference, um, and I'd heard about Growing Hope there and was really inspired by the work that they're doing and the vision to grow hope for children, hope for families and hope in Jesus through offering free therapy. Um, and so when I saw that there was an opportunity to come and join the team at King's Cross, I was really excited about that opportunity to be able to be a part of, of offering therapy and support to the families in uh, Camden and Islington. And I think one of the things that is different about um, Growing Hope is that you're able to have more um, time and contact with families than I might have done previously in a school setting. In the school, the, the main focus is about supporting communication for access to learning and you spend more time in the school environment and with the class teams and teachers whereas with Growing Hope you're working directly with families and talking to them about their situation at home and working on the things that are going to make the biggest difference in their everyday life. Yeah and for you as a therapist does that that setting and that where you working um, quite consistently with families um, do you feel that you can see that that therapy journey and that hope that's being grown uh, more easily or, or, or clearer than you you might if you were working in a school or a hospital setting has that been something you're aware of? Um, I think it's quite early days for me. I've only fairly recently started in the role, but yes, definitely having um, conversations with parents and carers about the, their priorities and the things that are most important mm. to them and their family, um, talking to children about what's uh, what the things that they're really wanting to develop and get better at. Um, yeah but you don't always have as much time available in other settings or other roles to be able to really personalize yeah. everything that you're doing um, and make sure that it's something that's yeah that's going to make a big difference wow that sounds incredible and um, and you mentioned that you work with a lot of uh, children or you have worked with a lot of children who have autism now i imagine um many of the people listening again, might have uh, different experiences of it and might know a lot about it or have not encountered it as much. Could you give us a little um, maybe two-minute elevator pitch or what, what is life like for a child who might be on the autistic spectrum? How do they experience it from your point of view uh, when you're looking at communication? Um, I think from a communication perspective, communication is one of the 
key areas that's impacted by autism or by having a diagnosis of autism. So it's one of the main areas that can be a challenge, um, but that can look different for all different families and different individual children. And so it's a, you might have heard that autism is a, a spectrum, so sometimes called autism spectrum disorder, and so it really is a variety of different things with communication skills. So it might be the case that um, communication or speech is very limited and it might be the case that there's limited use of speech and are using alternative forms of communication, maybe through signing or symbols, um, or it might be that you've got a lot of speech and a lot of understanding of language, but it can be really difficult with the social rules of communication. So starting conversations or interactions with others, keeping them going, talking about different topics, how to repair things if communication goes wrong or breaks down. I was thinking about if you um, find it difficult to understand language, that can be similar to if you imagine that you are interacting with somebody who's speaking a different language that you don't know and you don't understand. And so although they might be uh, talking to you, asking you questions, giving you instructions, if you don't understand that language or if you only understand parts of that language, it can be quite difficult to know what's going on, what the expectations are, to be able to respond to those questions. It can also make it difficult if you then aren't able to speak or communicate in that language to put across your own message, your thoughts, your ideas, your wants, your needs, if there's a problem. And that can cause quite a lot of challenges. It can become confusing, it can be overwhelming, it can be frustrating. So I think having difficulty understanding language can be, or expressing yourself, can be a real challenge. Yeah, I can imagine. And not just for uh, the child. I, I, I mean, I'm just thinking of parents and families as well who... Um, as much as they may be supporting and and working with and understand their child um, much better than you know uh, somebody who doesn't know that child well, it must also at times be frustrating not always to be understood or not always be able to understand what their child might want to you know be trying to get across to them. Yeah, and that's one of the things I think about communication that's key is that it it's not just about one person when you're communicating with somebody there's more than one person involved and so that can be um something to 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 manage or to support not just if you're the individual or the child that's experiencing difficulties but also if you're the person that's communicating yeah. with them. Yeah, I can I can imagine for families that must be such a key part in the sort of uh, growing hope process. Um, you know, managing their communication with their child, but within their family as well. It's such an important thing that you're doing. Um, I think it is really important for and for communication in in building relationships and friendships. With we work directly with the child and their family but they're also part of a, a wider family and wider context of friends and communities mm. and so helping everybody to be connected um, communication I think is key to that yeah. so if you feel like you've got some strategies that you can use yourself but that you can also share with other people um, that can help sort of build confidence mm. and and keep everyone connected yeah sure 
And I heard a um, phrase that once you've met one child with autism, you've met one child with autism. Um, and just it stood out to me because it does highlight that actually all children are unique, but particularly with autism, there's such a range and each child is very unique. And having said that, <laughs> do you find working with having worked with a lot of children with autism across the ages, um, do you find that there are some common challenges um, that the parents and the families and, and these children might encounter? I think, yeah, I think that's a really important point that you made about if you if you've met one child with autism, you've met one child with autism. And sometimes um, people can feel like they need to compare to other situations, other people, other families or that people around them um, might have met one child with autism and then try and use that experience um, as a, a blanket across uh, lots of other individuals, which is not always not always very helpful. Yeah. Um, I think that there are some um, common areas or challenges that come up often with things like attention, um, being able to focus your attention on a particular person or um, a task or activity that you're involved in or communicating about. Um, often, as I mentioned before, about understanding um, and needing maybe a bit more time to process information. Yeah. Um, that's partly to do with the all the different information that's involved in communication, taking in not just the words, but also how the other person is responding. What's their face doing? What are their facial expressions? Yeah. What are their gestures? What's their body language? It's a lot of information to process as well as the words. Yeah. And I think particularly around interactions with others as well. So social communication is a big area for autism and it can be really challenging. There's so many rules around our social interactions that are not necessarily explicitly said and so it's not always obvious what to do in different situations or how to react um, and that can be. And I know that so many of those are also quite subconscious to to uh, many of us mm. that we don't necessarily think about yeah. you know the amount of eye contact that is normal or appropriate or but we know that when somebody's not making the right eye contact with us it's it, it is a weird thing that social communication that there's these rules that we're not necessarily aware of when we're doing them right but we are aware of when they go wrong or when when we're not when somebody's not doing them right yeah those kind of like hidden rules of social communication I think that are not always spoken about and I think like what you said there mm. communication in general we, if you're a confident communicator, then it's not necessarily something you think about a lot. Like, how are you communicating and how loud are you being? How quiet are you being? What tone of voice are you using? What words? And it's not until something goes wrong, like you said, or, or the, um, there's a misunderstanding that you then start to think about it and think about, oh, hang on, what are the rules here? What is, how should this go? Yeah. And when you are then trying to explain that to other people, that can also become a challenge. Yeah, I can imagine if, if you know, these are hidden or unspoken rules, having to speak about them or articulate them somehow when it's not necessarily something that we're used to speaking about must be a challenge uh, and especially as something to teach to children. Um, 
that must be quite challenging for for parents and for you working with them. Absolutely, yeah. I think as well, there's so many different situations. So if you are talking about um, with social communication, it's really important to to talk about it as you go in real life situations so not just Mm. within a therapy session or within a specific situation at school or at home but trying to identify and point out those rules as you experience them throughout the day or wherever you are so it's partly about sort of raising your awareness of oh what are these things that I'm seeing or knowing and how can I explain them in the situation that I'm in yeah. So it sounds like then as much as you are very involved in the family life and the, the therapy journey, a lot of your job is working with parents and families and they also have to do uh, you know, the day-to-day work as they are spending more of their time, obviously, with their, their child than you are. Um, so do you find that, I mean, parents are a really crucial part of your work with children with autism or do you see them quite often? Yeah, I absolutely. They're um, essential. The parents and carers are the key part of their child's life. And I'm, as a speech therapist, just involved in a really tiny part of their life Mm. um, for a short period of time. And so actually the majority of their time is going to be spent with their family and with their friends. And so if during that time we can work out some strategies or things that can help outside of those sessions and when you're at home or when you're at school or in everyday life, then that's going to have a much bigger impact um, on communication and on developing those communication skills. So really, it's not about me at all. <laughs> it's more about um, just get, passing on some ideas that can help to build and develop skills in your everyday situations. Yeah. Um, so do you have any tips or tricks for parents? What would you tell parents uh, or maybe things that you tell parents often um, as they're the ones who are doing a lot of this? therapy and the work and supporting their children every day what would you tell parents I would say uh, start by getting attention first so I mentioned before that often attention and listening can be a real uh, struggle with lots of distractions so some of the things that you can do to just make sure that you've got your child's attention before you're trying to communicate with them maybe by getting down onto the same level as them making yourself visible in front of them trying to reduce background noise or distractions where possible it's not always possible you know life is very distracting but start by getting attention first and then communicate and yeah, then that sounds I'd like say, a really good one. <laughs> it's a good place to start, I think. Um, one, yeah. I would also say keep it simple. Um, often mm-hmm. we focus on the child and their communication, but um, it's really good to, to start thinking about ourselves and our own communication. So trying to keep our own communication with a child that's got communication difficulties simple, maybe re- talking less, reducing the words that we're using, using simple language and vocabulary that they might already understand, speaking a bit slower. I know some talking about it, so I'm talking a bit slower now, but we can talk quite fast in our everyday. And actually, if we slow the pace a bit and have a few more pauses, 
it can feel a bit strange to begin with, but it gives a bit more time mm. for processing information and to be able to respond mm. uh, to what we're saying or asking mm. about. What would you say to parents who, who might hear that, who are worried about making bad habits and who would hear that and say, I don't want, if I start speaking slowly or, you know, simply, then it will be a habit that they pick up. And I, I don't want to say that. What would you say if, you know, if parents had that concern? I think that it's um, an understandable concern. And I think that if we um, adapt our communication, it's just to try and encourage and support understanding so if we slow down it just gives a bit more time to process but it, we're always going to try and communicate in the most effective and efficient way who whoever we are and so if it's yeah. it does just by us talking more slowly or leaving more pauses doesn't automatically mean that that's a habit that your child's going to pick up it might just create a bit more space for them to be able to process the information um, that you're giving them uh, and to be able to form their own response um, and communicate back again. Sometimes when things are very fast, it can add a bit more pressure to that experience. Mm. Yeah, I can imagine and feeling not knowing the answer or not knowing um, what to say and being under pressure in that moment um, can be really stressful for a child and probably not help them with, um, you know, trying to make sense of that and formulate something if they're also in that moment feeling very stressed and pressured around Yeah. Um, so I can see that. I think also changing the way that we ask questions as well. Sometimes we can ask a lot of questions of our children and actually shifting a bit from asking direct questions into just commenting on the situation. That can also mm -hmm. reduce pressure a little bit okay. um, and can be a helpful thing. Okay. I'd also say use visuals. If you've um, heard any speech and language therapists uh, talk about uh, supporting communication and supporting particularly autism, um, visuals can be really helpful. Yeah. Often children with autism can have a strength in visual learning and so it can be a way to support attention because visuals can stay a bit longer than than spoken communication can support understanding of words and it can also give a way to support expression as well so visuals are really great and they can be something that you just draw in the moment you can I've drawn little stick people before and that that counts as a visual mm. it's something that I'm using my eyes to process and reinforce the information uh, but it can also be symbols mm. your child might be using a visual communication system uh, to support their their communication or it can be writing if they understand writing and can write themselves then written things can be visuals too but I'd really recommend using visuals yeah. where possible and making sure that they're available yeah in different situations and remembering to have them on hand I know is also quite a uh, for for parents and I know in my own life I might have the visuals and then oh I forgot them in the car or um, oh they're at home or they're in the kitchen and um, having them on hand is another um, sort of habit to form isn't it yeah problem solving how to how to have them where you need them and not oh I've yeah. got this it's great visual for this but it's it's back at home and now we're out so finding different ways to mm. do that but also knowing that you can just draw something on a on a piece of paper mm. or use the things that you've got to hand um, mm. as well 
it's about creating opportunities I think just thinking yeah. about in your everyday it doesn't have to be a special time it doesn't have to be a, a fancy session it can just be little opportunities throughout the day for communication whether that's giving a bit more time offering some choices where you might have already just provided something mm. thinking of ways that you can encourage yeah. opportunities for communication that's incredible so it sounds like you've got four or maybe five to getting attention yeah get attention uh, simplifying language keep it simple trying to reduce questions use visuals, visuals. and uh, create opportunities yes is that another one or is that part of the yes the vision part of all of the above uh, uh probably all of the above creates opportunities that's amazing. That is so helpful and something that you can practically put in your day-to-day activities. Thanks for those tips. Um, before we finish, um, we've been talking about how you work so closely with parents and families. Uh, and and I know also the therapy journey can often be a long road. Uh, it can sometimes, you have to do a lot of work and um, practice a lot of things before you see results. And sometimes it's hard to see to recognize progress as you're making it and mm. it might be emotionally draining or full of, yeah. full of like highs and lows. Um, how do you as a therapist and, and working in this therapy journey, how do you manage that and sort of grow or cultivate hope um, when you might be feeling discouraged or you might be slogging on and maybe not seeing results yet? How, what are some things that you do um, to cultivate that hope um, and perseverance, because I imagine that that might be something parents yeah. also experience. Um, I think one of the things to start with is just to be a bit kind to yourself. Some days are going to be easier than others. There are some days when it's easier to see the progress or the successes or all the different things to be thankful for. And then there's other days when it feels like everything's going wrong or you can't see how things are progressing. Yeah. Um, so I think just knowing that that that's okay, it's okay for there to be times when it's harder and times when it's yeah. easier. I find um, chatting to chatting to other encouraging people, um, yeah. so whether that's your partner, family, friends, um, supporting each other, and sometimes other people can see the successes or can see the progress um, where you might not have noticed it or where. Um, where you feel if you feel stuck in a situation you think oh I'm not sure where's the hope in this situation sometimes other people can help you to help you to see it help you to find it mm. and also I celebrating the successes however however big or small they might be um, finding a way to celebrate them and and remember them so I might write things down or take a photo something that remembers that mm. that time of of success or when it feels like things are going well um, that I can then look back on in other times when you might be feeling more discouraged. Mm. It's good to look back and see, oh, actually, you know, this is how far we've come mm. and this is the progress that has happened, oh. even if at the moment it feels feels different. Yeah. yeah I, that sounds incredibly encouraging. I feel um, very encouraged by that. Actually, I'm going to start taking more photos and celebrating those high moments um, and looking back on them. 
Um, and it is an important, you know, lesson to or thing to remember to be kind to ourselves. Um, I think sharing the, the celebrations is good as well, because then you can be encouraging other people who might be in that time of mm. discouragement. So discouragement, I'm not sure that that's <laughs> even a word, but <laughs> feeling discouraged. So in the times when we might be celebrating something that's going well, yeah. that can encourage others. Yeah. Um, and and that can be part of us encouraging each other and supporting each other yeah along the way for sure a support structure and and having people around you is really really key um lastly before we go i want to know mm-hmm. getting through lockdown what was one thing that you did to keep saying um i know that there was a, a huge banana bread train and sourdough baking train um what was one thing you did to keep saying um one thing I did actually I live quite close to the river and so I've been on a lot of walks and for me just being able to to get outside and walk along even in the times when we could just walk for a really short time or just you know the the one daily exercise I found that to be um, a really a really good thing it just sort of changed my perspective on the day and um, it was good to to get out and see the world a little bit. So for me, that was that was great. And um, I've also been perfecting my skills in making iced coffee at home. Oh. <laughs> I've miss, I missed out initially on being able to go to a coffee shop, and so being able to uh, try try some of those things at home um, has been great, especially when the weather's been a bit warmer. Yeah, that's a very valuable skill to have cultivated. And I'm glad that you've gotten an opportunity to walk and explore your area and get out in nature a bit. I know mental health wise that mm-hmm. walking and getting out of the house, even that once a day was yeah. crucial. Yeah. Well, Abby, it has been so great to hear from you. I feel really encouraged and hope that our uh, parents and anyone listening to this will be as well. Um, thank you so much for giving up your time and for joining us. Thank you very much for having me. It's been it's been great to chat. Thank you for listening to the Growing Hope podcast. To find out more about Growing Hope or to sign up to our monthly newsletter, go to our website, growinghope.org.uk.